I am Dr. Thomas Slavin, Chief Medical Officer for Myriad Genetics. Welcome to Inside the Genome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Inside the Genome. Today, we're joined by Taylor Kane. She is the founder and executive director of Remember the Girls Nonprofit and a female living with the adrenal leukodystrophy gene, ALD. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey with ALD. Sure. So ALD or adrenal leukodystrophy is a rare genetic X-linked uh, neurological disease. Um, it typically affects males and actually boys between the ages of five and 10. Um, they have the most severe version of the disease typically, and then other males um, will get the later onset form of the disease. So my dad, uh, Jack, was diagnosed with ALD um, mm. really out of the blue in 2001. Uh, he was experiencing behavioral changes, and that eventually led a counselor to suggest him to get an MRI, uh, which showed that his brain was indicative of the um, cerebral involvement that is caused by later onset ALD. So like I said, there's, there's multiple different phenotypes. Um, and about 40% of men who have the later onset form do eventually get cerebral involvement as well. And what that means basically is that they experience symptoms like dementia, behavioral mm -hmm. changes, um, and basically begin to lose all functions. So uh, quickly after his diagnosis, my dad lost the ability to walk, talk, wow. swallow, get a feeding tube, and understand the world around him. Um, he developed really severe frontotemporal dementia. Um, so that was definitely difficult at times to watch as a child, um, but you know, there was no cure for ALD, no treatment. Um, we did just get our first FDA approved treatment for uh, boys and young men with ALD. Um, so it was so exciting, you know, to have the first approved treatment. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of ongoing trials that are investigating uh, treatments for people with the other phenotypes. Yeah. Um, at the time of my dad's diagnosis, uh, we were told how, that- How old was he at diagnosis? So he was in his forties um, yeah. and he had a bit of a different presentation because typically men with this later onset form, they first have the spinal cord symptoms or the neurologic, like the neuropathy, the walking difficulties. But my dad was clumsy when he was younger, but never anything that was like super out of normal. Like he wasn't really having any walking difficulties. So when he was diagnosed with ALD because of his dementia like symptoms, it was like a really unusual progression. Um, like even my, he had an identical twin brother um, and they had a very different like disease progression, um, even being identical twins with the same DNA and the same, you know, exact genetic mutation. Um, so it was definitely unusual, but we were told hmm. at the time um, that since ALD is X-linked and carried on the X chromosome, that this meant that I was a 100% obligate carrier of ALD. Um, and that when I got older, I would have to think about this when having kids because I had a 50% chance. Um, but of course, at the time, my family's focus was on my dad. So, um, you know, thinking about the carrier stuff definitely came a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so his brother, um, what has uh, been his brother's journey at this point? So um, my dad's identical twin brother, Jimmy, um, he started experiencing symptoms a few years after my dad. 
mm-hmm. actually never got like a genetic test because he, I just felt like, you know, when you're an identical twin, um, you have the same exact DNA. Um, so, and we knew that, you know, ALD, um, was an inherited mutation. Of course it can also be, um, it can also be spontaneous, but, you know, since they're identical, they come from the same exact embryo. Um, so he did start experiencing symptoms a few years later and he did pass away a few years after my dad. Um, but thank you. Um, and in addition to him, um, my dad's two other siblings also had ALD. Um, one of them had the later onset version, uh, and he never ended up getting this cerebral version. So he actually had Hmm. pretty mild symptoms. And then his sister, uh, we now know was a carrier and she had a son who had ALD, who passed away from a adrenal crisis, but this was before I was born. So mm-hmm. like at the time we didn't know he had ALD, but people with men with the ALD gene are at risk of having an adrenal crisis and he passed away from an adrenal crisis. Yeah. And so now we kind of can put the pieces back together, mm-hmm. you know, when you get like a diagnosis with the disease that runs in families kind of like after the fact that you start putting all these pieces together of like where the disease came from in the family and who had it, who maybe had it. So that's yeah. definitely something that we've done over the last 20 years. Wow. And how, how old was he when he had his adrenal crisis? He was in his twenties. Wow. Yeah. I mean, just to, to see the difference of the presentation in the family, even with the identical twins. Yeah. yeah it's really strange. And, you know, especially because you think that conditions are dependent not only on your genetic variant, but also like environment. But when you're an identical twin, you're growing up in a really similar environment. You're eating the same foods, you're exposed, Mm -hmm. you know, to the same sorts of things. And my dad and his brother were like inseparable. So they did everything together for, you know, a large part of their lives. So it definitely does make you, make you wonder like, you know, what other factors like are at play um, when it comes to a disease presenting itself in a person. Mm -hmm. It is definitely really interesting. And um, there's been a few cases of ALD and identical twins. And I know that when there are that, you know, they're studied like really closely. Yeah. Yeah. No, very interesting. And how has this impacted your life? I mean, as you brought up your, um, you know, an obligate carrier, um, have, did you have genetic testing to confirm that? So since I'm an obligate carrier, um, we were basically told since the disease is X-linked, uh, biological males will always pass their X chromosome to their daughters. So mm-hmm. we were not encouraged to get um, any confirmatory testing just because if I wasn't a carrier, like they said, there would be a 0.00001 chance that I wasn't um, yeah. unless my dad, like wasn't my dad or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, I always knew that I was a carrier um, from a young age. I mean, I was surrounded by, by my dad and by his hospice nurses when he was sick for the two years before he passed away. So I knew very well what ALD was mm-hmm. at a young age. How, how old were you when you, um, when he was having his issues roughly? I was three when he was diagnosed. Um, oh, okay. yeah, and I was five when he passed away and then I'm 24 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you, you know, lose a parent at such a young age, you're really forced to mature a lot faster. And I think this is what my made made my mom comfortable with telling me uh, about my carrier status at a young age. I was about seven or eight when she first started explaining it to me. Yeah. Um, And I was, I'm so happy that she did. Like, I can't imagine finding out later in life than I did because I've had like a huge part of my life to prepare for the future. Um, And not only in terms of family planning, but also we now know that 
females with the ALD gene are not just carriers and that over 90% of them actually do eventually experience symptoms of the disease. And those symptoms can also be severe. So uh, while I don't have any symptoms now, um, you know, if I didn't know all that I know about ALD and about my genetics, and at this point I have gotten genetic testing just to have it on my medical record. Um, and I'll eventually need mm -hmm. my exact variant when I do IVF with PGT in the future, which is not going to be for a long time, but it's something that I plan to do eventually. Um, so growing up, you know, it, it was just something that was a part of yeah. me, like some, just like having blonde hair or having green eyes. Like I never really thought of it, you know, as something that negatively impacted my childhood, obviously losing my dad was mm -hmm. a huge negative impact on my life. But as far as actually having the gene myself, I only have positive, a positive attitude to knowing that I have this gene. And I'm so yeah. glad that I've known as long as I have, because I feel really prepared for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have, have you um, been getting any uh, checkups in any sense related specifically to this or doing a screening? So unfortunately, there's not really a standard of care for younger women with ALD. Um, when it comes to the symptoms we may experience, they are a bit later onset. So they usually don't start until like 30s or 40s. So I've asked our specialists because I'm in touch with mm -hmm. a lot of them just because I'm really involved in the community. Like, should I take any tests? Should I do anything? Um, and the only one that I've that I've done is get tested for adrenal insufficiency, which I do not have. Um, most males with ALD also have adrenal insufficiency mm -hmm. and most females do not. Um, but they said, you know, you can get tested just to be sure. Um, but there's nothing we can really do right now. Like I know what symptoms to look out for. Um, but it's also something that I try not to let worry me day to day. Um, I really don't know why I have like, I guess the relaxed attitude that I do. I feel like the main reason is just because I've known about ALD yeah. for so long that it's just like, I've come to accept it. Um, but I am involved in a study uh, for people with ALD. I am in like an observational study. Yeah. So I do a remote portion of the study where I take all these different uh, tests, like walking tests and balance tests, um, and also answer like questionnaires about quality of life and bladder and bowel dysfunction. Those are all symptoms that can affect um, both mm -hmm. women with ALD. So even though I don't have any symptoms yet, I'm super eager to be involved in research because. I want there to be a treatment, not only for, you know, boys and men who are dying from this disease, but when I'm in my forties or fifties and like potentially having symptoms, I feel like I need to be involved in research now so that me in the future can have a treatment when I need it. And of course, mm -hmm. all the other women who need it too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you brought up family planning. Um, what does that look like for you? I mean, how, how are you thinking about having children given that this is in your family? Yeah. So this is, uh, this is a really topic I'm so passionate about. And I also want to preface it that like family planning for everyone and especially genetic carriers is a really personal and unique, um, mm -hmm. experience and that there's no one size fits all. There's no one option that's best. Um, growing up, um, I had a cousin, I have a cousin who is also, we, we found out after my dad was diagnosed, also a carrier, and she's uh, over 10 years older than me. So I actually, when I was younger, uh, watched her go through the IVF um, PGT process. So I didn't like follow it that closely or anything, um, but 
I knew from a young age that there was an option for me to eventually one day have a child that um, didn't have ALD. Mm -hmm. And after seeing my dad suffer, you know, such a horrible, horrible disease, I knew in my heart that I I could never risk having a son um, with the disease. And I think like these decisions really come down to, you know, your individual perspectives, but also like treatments that are available and some, you know, ALD is a terminal disease. So I do feel really strongly like about my decision. Um, but I know that, you know, what's right for me, is not what's right for everyone, but I do think in general, I guess it's hard to tell because I'm 24, like I said. So I, I feel like I'm still in that age of having some apathy about having kids. Like mm-hmm. I don't really feel passionately one way or the other, but I've had to think about it a lot earlier than my friends have. Um, Cause you know, they don't have to think about it until one day they can just decide, Oh, I want to have kids now, but I have to think about it way ahead of time because IVF, you know, if it works the first time, if you get pregnant, it takes like a year from your first appointments. So And a lot of times with genetic carriers who have 50% chance of passing the disease down, the number of viable embryos gets so small because, you know, a lot of them don't live to become embryos Mm -hmm. that can be implanted and then think, yes, the disease is 50-50, but if you flip a coin 10 times, that coin can land tails all 10 times. So you could have no embryos and you would have to just repeat it again. And I know a lot of women with ALD who have done IVF who've had to go through multiple cycles. So wow. it does seem daunting. Like I don't enjoy thinking about it, but at the same time, I'm, I'm so grateful that that option exists. Um, and I hope that, you know, that there's no legislation that gets in the way of carriers um, wanting to pursue this option to have a healthy family. Yeah. And what do you think about um, this test being on um, carrier screening panels now uh, for uh, genetic conditions when people are looking at having children? Yeah. So I see it only as a benefit. I know typically in the past, uh, carrier screening was more focused on these autosomal recessive conditions um, because you were less likely to know that you're a carrier because it, you know, just because of the inheritance of the conditions, but you would be surprised how many women join Remember the Girls, um, my foundation, my organization, which is for all excellent genetic conditions, but you would be surprised how many women join every day. And they only found out that they were a carrier after having an affected son. Um, So it still happens all the time. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, The most often one I see is that the excellent disease passes through females in the family. So like the grandmother is a carrier and then she passes it to her daughter and then the daughter has a son with ALD and say that the two females are having symptoms, but like they're never going to get diagnosed with ALD because there's a, there's a stigma that females can't have ALD. So they might've been suffering symptoms for a long time, but they've been misdiagnosed with like MS or neuropathy or something else. So they, they have the gene and they're having symptoms, but they still don't know they have the gene until a male's diagnosed. So I think having ALD on carrier screening panels is, is really beneficial. And even though unlike most autosomal recessive diseases, AL, being an ALD carrier does mean that you are at risk of symptoms. There are resources out there. Like it obviously, you know, could be surprising, could be scary. 
You could be mm-hmm. so confused. You could wonder what the future is going to look like for you. But there are resources like Remember the Girls, like ALD Connect, where you can go and you can figure out very quickly the information you need to know as a carrier, both in terms of your potential symptoms, but also your family planning options. Um, if there wasn't these resources, maybe I would feel differently, um, you know, if people were isolated with this information, but they're not. So I hundred percent support ALD being on all carrier testing panels. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about remember the girls. So what prompted you to start this and um, you know, what's the the purpose of the non-for-profit for sure. So as I said, growing up, I knew that I was a carrier of ALD um, and it wasn't until early high school where my mom started taking me to ALD conferences because she felt that she wanted me to stay connected with the community um, now that my dad had passed away. And I was always told, and my mom was always told that females were just carriers and that I didn't have anything to worry about. I didn't even have to think about ALD until I was ready to have kids. But as I started attending these conferences, I could see with my own eyes that there were women in wheelchairs, in walkers, with mobility aids. And I just knew that like something wasn't right. And it became clearly it became clear to me quite quickly um, that there was a lot of these sort of behind closed doors conversations of like, yes, of course, females have symptoms, but that wasn't really being recognized um, among researchers. So I actually first started um, a support group for young carriers of ALD. Um, There's not as many of us, uh, a lot of baby girls now are being diagnosed as young carriers because ALD newborn screening is spreading to most states. But there actually are not a lot of um, young women in my situation who know that we're carriers, uh, because like I said, a lot of people still only find out after they have a child. Um, And through that, I started, you know, really learning more, not only about ALD and the fact that the women in my community had been silenced for so long and told that they're just carriers and that it's not possible for there to get symptoms because they have another X chromosome that makes up for the mutation on the one with ALD. They've been told that for so long. And I was seeing in research, like, that's just not how it works. That's not true. There's something called X inactivation. You know, there's biological reasons why that's mm-hmm. not true. And I also found that there was all these other X-linked diseases like Duchenne muscular dystrophy and hemophilia A and B, where the women in the communities were facing the exact same issues that we were in ALD, mm-hmm. where for so long, they were told, oh, you're just carriers. You can't have any symptoms. It's impossible. And just in that moment, it really clicked like, you know, these diseases are all rare when we're just in our disease. We only have so many people. But if we brought females from all X-linked diseases together, we would have such a strong community to advocate for our needs. Um, of course, we all come from different diseases and experience different symptoms um, for those of us who do have symptoms. But when it comes to things like reproduction and family planning and mental health and the yeah. psychosocial impacts and genetic testing and all that stuff, we have so many similarities. So I founded Remember the Girls in 2017. Um, and Remember the Girls aims to break the stigma facing females impacted by excellent conditions Uh, by providing them with tools to seek support, engage with research and access family planning options, as well as by advocating for increased attention of medical professionals to the physical, emotional, and reproductive needs of this community. Um, So yeah, that's- How can people uh, find out more information about Remember the Girls? 
So right now, um, our website is down. <laughs> I don't know when this episode's coming out. Um, but if it is in March or later, you can go to rememberthegirls.org. Uh, we're redoing our website completely. Um, and we're also going to be having a tab for medical professionals and people who aren't, you know, carriers to mm-hmm. uh, find information that's more tailored to them. Um, but the best way would also just be to going to our social media pages. So we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you just search, remember yeah, the girls, uh, you'll easily be able to find us. And we're really active online. We've had zoom meetings before zoom was cool. Um, so we've always been like a virtual online organization. So that's why we have a really strong social media presence. Um, so that's definitely the best way to keep up with our work. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, so important, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we're just learning more about, you know, many of these conditions and, um, you know, especially as uh, people are just living longer in general, you know, these days than they were, you know, 50 or 60 years ago. Um, a lot of things that were thought to, um, you know, live on the X chromosome that just affected boys were realizing as uh, women get older that there can be some, some uh, things that come out over time. But, well, Taylor, I cannot thank you enough uh, for coming on today. That was incredibly informative. Uh, hopefully our audience learned a bit about adrenal leukodystrophy. Um, you know, so exciting, the, the work that you're doing with Remember the Girls. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, if, if the listeners want to keep up with my rare disease advocacy, I'm also really active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at rare like her. So that's a great way to sort of see all the things that I'm doing in the advocacy world and with remember the girls. Yeah. Great social media presence. Thank you. Thank you.